Why did people have such a hard time recognizing Jesus after his resurrection? The answer to that question will make you love Jesus more than ever. And you'll find out that answer today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a brand new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a pastor, and I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. Okay, not really. That was the name of a sermon that I did a few months ago, a sermon I want to share with you today. And um, honestly, the the reason I called it that, I've been in ministry for, you know, about a decade now, and um, every time I would preach on love, which is, you know, it's kind of an important topic in the Bible, uh, it comes up quite a bit, so you end up doing a lot of sermons on it, usually at least once a year, you do a sermon on love, and I always try to find some classic song, like something, oftentimes from the 80s, there's so many of these in the 80s, I try to find some old song that has the word love in it, um, I want to know what love is. Love is a battlefield. You know, I try to find something like that for the title. And I'm I'm kind of, after 10 years of that, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. So looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what it was called. I got a better title for it today. I'm just going to call it The Love of Jesus, because th- this is a, a sermon, I think, that shows that um, more than anything else. By the way, Happy New Year. If you're listening to this podcast, whenever it's brand new, then we are here at the start of 2023. And if you're listening to it months or years down the road, hello from the past. (laughs) We hope you're having a good day way off there in the future. Um, But a few months back, I was between jobs. One of my fellow pastors, he asked me if I could fill in for him on a Sunday morning at his church. And I had the time. I was really happy. I was honored to do so. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I like to be a little bit weird. You know, I like to get into some of the strange things in the Bible, some of, some of the dark corners of the scriptures that don't get a lot of attention. And I like to shine a light on those things. However, whenever I'm filling in at a church, I try not to be weird. <laughs> I try to do a message that's a little bit safer, a bit more generic on a more conventional topic. So as I was saying, whenever my buddy asked me to, to fill in for him while he was gone at like a men's conference a few months back, that's what I did. I just picked a message on love. It's trying to be safe and non-controversial. And I think I pulled that off. But but um, as we are here in this in this time period of we're kind of catching up from the holidays, we're getting back into routine now. I thought, well, I won't do something that's like a new in-depth study. I'm just going to share a recording from that sermon with you today. And uh, don't worry, we will get back into our normal cross-references Bible studies. Um, we'll, we'll be back into it next week as we return to the book of Ezekiel. So, um, however, on this sermon I want to share today, it's still me, so it's still going to be a little bit weird. I need to warn you about something. Um, In the first five minutes or so, I share a few pictures. You're not going to be able to see them because this is an audio podcast, so um, sorry about that. You know, I think I I guess I could try to insert them on the video portion, uh, like on YouTube on the in Rumble whenever I put it on there because that's video, but... 
I'm just going to warn you, if you're audio only, it's going to be a little tough for the first few minutes because I'm just sharing a few pictures and, and they actually do relate to what my message is all about. I share a few pictures of my family and then after that, I share some pictures of how differently people look, uh, well, men, how differently men look with a beard as opposed to what they look like without a beard. Like when a guy who you've known really well with a beard, whenever he shaves, how unrecognizable he can be. And I, I deliver all that because it actually ties in to my sermon later on. And and speaking of tying, <laughs> there's another reason I wanted to share this sermon that I that I preached, why I wanted to share it here on this podcast, because it does exactly what my podcast tries to do. I try to tie a lot of various scriptures together. So I can reveal something amazing about Jesus. And so honestly, this this fits right in with everything else on this podcast and what, what I would say my personal ministry is all about. So with all that said, let's go ahead and join the message that I preached last fall about the love of Jesus. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. It is a real honor to be here today. I'm excited to share. Can we give our praise team just a hand this morning, too? They do something that I cannot do. They have musical ability. And um, when Brother Jeremy asked me to fill in for him today, I was like, okay, I can only do one thing. <laughs> I, can, I can talk. When I put this little deal on a few minutes ago, I'll admit, I actually lip-synced the last couple songs. I was afraid if I accidentally flipped something on, I might just run you all out of here, and I didn't want to do that. So, thankful for, thankful for your praise team, uh, thankful for your pastor, uh, Brother Jeremy. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, and uh, he and I were both in youth ministry at the same time together a few years back, and that's how I first met him, and he's become a really good friend and a, a great source of encouragement to me, so I'm... I'm thankful for him. Had a great influence in my life. And so you have a good pastor. I think next month is, a, is pastor appreciation next month. So y'all make sure you remember to tell him thank you. All right. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about me, Brother Ron. I'm uh, grateful for him too. And he introduced me a little bit, but I thought I'd introduce you to my family. Uh, that's my wife right there. And she's sitting on the front row, Emily. And we've been married for about 10 years. And uh, our first child, our firstborn, is Marty. He's not with us today. Would have liked to bring him, but that could have been fun. But we left him at home. And there's our other two boys. Uh, One of them is downstairs. The younger one there is Zek. He's three. And he was born a few years ago. Well, obviously, if he's three. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) um, he's uh, he's downstairs in the children's church right now. Dylan is a boy that we adopted uh, several years back. And he's 19 now. He's actually with the National Guard. He's on the other side of the world in Kuwait at the moment. Uh, so you can be praying for him, but he's serving our country out there. And so, um, yeah, just keep him in your thoughts and prayers. So you might have noticed something in this picture of me and my family. We just took this picture a couple of years ago, but you might notice I look a little bit different there. Um, I did not have a beard in that picture. And last year, No Shave November came around. I decided to participate. And by the end of the month, I noticed people were treating me a lot differently, a lot better than they did before I grew the beard. Like, like I had just grown up a bunch in that past month. So I thought, 
I think I'm just going to keep this thing because it actually annoyed me a little bit. I'm like, I'm still the same guy, but <laughs> people treat me. I'm not, I'm not 25. I'm 32. So. so anyway, I decided to keep the beard. But you know, it does make a big difference. You see someone without a beard and you see somebody with a beard. It does, you know, it does kind of affect a lot of, I don't know, psychologically a little bit, just some of those subtle things. I have a few pictures here of people like how different they look with a beard versus without a beard. This is, I don't even know who this, this guy is. But when I see this picture on the right, I'm like, that's a, like a lumberjack right there. Like, that's it's a powerful guy. Wouldn't be afraid of that guy on the left. The next picture there, I'm going to play a little game with you. Anybody recognize who that guy is on the right? What'd you say? It wasn't Tom Cruise. If you go on to the next picture there, that's Harrison Ford right there. The Han Solo. I, was, I guess that's how he can go out in public. He grows a little bit of facial hair. And Anybody recognize who that is? <laughs> Santa Claus, <laughs> Santa Claus getting in shape. That uh, that's David Letterman right there. He had this show, you know, when I was a kid. He was on one of the late night shows. He got out of business, grew out a beard. He can go out in public. No one even knows who he is. If you go into that next picture, I want to see if people can figure out who these guys are. Someone say Top Gun. <laughs> All right, go on to the next one. Those were the Duck Dynasty guys before they were famous. Yeah. Uh, Now, this actually was not the first time uh, I grew out a beard. I also grew one out a few years ago. And and again, people were kind of treating me better. I went ahead and shaved it. You ever notice how people look a lot younger after they shave? (laughs) It really can take a few years off of you. So just to remember that. But I I guess I'm I'm still at that stage in life. I want to look older than I actually am. So (laughs) that'll change. Yeah. Okay, we're going, to come back to, we're going to come back to that later, actually. I have a reason I put all that in. But I want to talk about something else first. And, and you're probably familiar with this, that in the Greek, in the New Testament, uh, there's four different words for love. And we're at a little bit of a disadvantage with our Bibles because our Bibles are in English. And every time they translate any of these words into English, they're always translated as just love. But if you actually look in the Greek, there's a few different types of love that the Bible talks about. And so it can kind of help your understanding of a passage a little bit if you understand what kind of love that the Bible is talking about whenever it talks about love. So I'll give you a few of them. Um, One of them is called eros, and that refers to physical attraction, something that we don't even really call love in our culture. But in the Greek language, they called that a form of love. It's whenever you're physically attracted to someone Another type of love that Greek talks about is phileo. This is the friendly love, friend to friend. When you have a friend, the type of love that you have for a friend, that's called phileo. And we don't, you know, we don't often say that we love our friends, or at least us guys don't. You know, we don't often say, I love you to our friends. But the, the feelings that you feel toward a friend, that is a type of love. And so the Bible's word for that is phileo, um, Philadelphia. You know, that's a city, that's the city of brotherly love, and, that, and that's where some of that language is in there. Another type of love is called store. I'm probably not saying it right. Sometimes they put a G in it, and then I really don't know how to say it, but I believe it's pronounced store. That's talking about the family love, the love between family members. And so that's an important type of love to know. And then the fourth one, and the one I'd say is the most important, is called agape. And this is really, this is the highest form of love. This is what we might call 
unconditional love. So remember we say, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. That is agape love. This is the love that Jesus tells us to have for others. It's the type of love that Jesus had for us. It's the kind of love you show even when you don't feel like it. You ever hear phrases like, love is a verb. Love is a choice. You know, you ever hear those kind of phrases? Love is a decision. It's not an emotion. It's something you do. It's not something you feel. Well, you know, love is an emotion, but agape love, that's talking about something else. That's talking about even whenever we don't feel like it, that we choose to show love. So those are the four types of love, eros, phileo, story, agape. Let's play another little game. I'm just going to put up a Bible verse, and I want you to guess which kind of love is being used in this verse. So if you could throw up the next one there, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's agape right there. Good job. That's talking about agape. That God agaped us so much. The world. He gave us his son. So it was, it's unconditional love. If it was based on conditions, I don't think I'd be worthy. Like, if it, if it was based on conditions, I think Jesus would have just stayed up in heaven. But by the grace of God, unconditional love, Jesus came down to this earth to die for the sins of you and I. Agape, one definition I heard that I like a lot is a, a selfless concern for the welfare of others. A selfless concern for the welfare of others. That would be agape. And let's just break that down for a minute. Selfless. That means you're not concerned with what's best for you. You're thinking about someone else. It's selfless. Concern. That means you're thinking about it. That's where we get our word concentrate. It means you're like focused on something. So it's not just that you're not thinking about yourself and being selfless. You're concerned. You're focused on other people. That could, that's hard to do. The welfare of others. That means what another person needs. So if you have agape love, you're not thinking about yourself. You're focused, you're intent, you're concentrating on what is best for other people, for their welfare. Is anyone in here good at that? I know I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm not good at that. I mean, that's a high calling. The Bible has a definition for agape. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's where you can turn today if you'd like to. Uh, I'm going to put the verses up on the, the PowerPoint here as well. I put them up in a little bit different format than you probably have seen them. We know love is patient, love is kind. I mean, who's heard this before? I put it up in a bullet point format because I just thought that might, just make it, might make it a little bit easier. A list of things of what love is. The Bible's definition, the Bible's breakdown of what agape love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. So love says, says, I don't get jealous whenever I see somebody having something that I don't have. Agape says, I'm happy for them that they have it. So love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Because remember, agape, it's a selfless concern for the welfare of others. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
That's a hard one. Because that means if you're walking around and you have like a list of grievances against someone in your head, and you're just like ready to recite them at a moment's notice because you're ready to win that argument, you're ready to have that argument anytime, that's not love. That's true of you know, someone you work with. It's true for your spouse. If you're walking around, you're just like kind of relitigating all these fights and all these things you want to say. Whenever we're doing that, we're keeping a record of wrongs, and the Bible says that's not love. I'm sorry, I don't know if I warned you I was going to try to preach this morning, but that's not love. And I know I'm, I'm only 32. I might have a beard. I might only be 32, but I know I don't know everything, but I'm just telling you this morning what the Bible says. It's just what the Bible says. We gotta, if we've got a list of wrongs, someone that's wronged us, and we can't forgive them, or we're just ready to have that debate, Jesus says we need to you know, write it down, wrinkle it up, throw it in the fire, walk away, ask God to help you let it go, because he wants us to have love. Why does he want us to do that? Because it's the kind of love that he showed us. Would we like it if Jesus was walking around heaven, reciting a list of all the things that we'd done wrong? Wouldn't like that very much, would we? He says, let it go. Love like he loved. I think we can do it when we look at what he did for us. He, he threw our list in the fire. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This might be the line that I think the culture has most lost today. You know, there's people who want to affirm sin today, and they want to call it loving. This verse tells me if I'm affirming sin, if I'm affirming somebody in their sin, we can't call that love. That's not the Bible's definition of love. Earlier in the book of Corinthians, Paul got mad at the Corinthians because uh, they had, there was a, there's a family in the church, had some messed up stuff going on in that family. Chapter 5 said there's a man in a relationship with his mother-in-law or something like that. And the people were just tolerating it. They were just happy to have him in church. They weren't going to call him out on it. Paul says, that's not loving them if you affirm them in their sin. You have to tell them the truth. If you loved him, you wouldn't delight in evil. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to break one of my own cardinal rules this morning. I'm going to use some bad grammar. Because I just gave you a list of all the things that love is. But now I'm going to give you a list of just the opposite of those things. It's a little bit different way to think about it. So I call this what love ain't. I'm kind of a, like one of those grammar Nazi people. I cringed even typing that in. But we did what love is, let's do what love ain't. And what I'm going to do is just take all those things we just read, we're going to flip them. We're just going to look at like what the opposite of that is. Because I feel like this is a way, this really helps us to understand what the Bible's saying when it, when it helps us to understand what love is. Let's talk about what it's not. Love is not impatient. Love is not mean. Love is happy for others' gifts and accomplishments. Love doesn't brag on itself for its own gifts and accomplishments. Love doesn't think about itself all that often. Love honors other people. Love seeks the interests of others. Hate keeps a record of wrongs. Hate delights in evil and gets bitter when it hears the truth. Hate never protects, trusts, hopes, or perseveres. Hate always fails. Does that kind of help you understand it a little more in a little bit different way? 
I want to go to another story this morning, and we're going to come back to this thing of love. But I, I, if you want to turn to John 21, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and I love, I'm thankful I get to be here today and, and share this chapter because it's just one of my favorite places in all of Scripture. So John chapter 21, and I'll kind of condense the first half. Jesus has risen from the dead, but the disciples, they kind of lost their way. They're, they're little, you know, they really got knocked off their skis whenever he died and went to the cross. And so they just kind of went back to what they were doing before. They went back to fishing. And then Jesus has this moment where he shows up on the shore, and he kind of recreates a miracle that he had done earlier in the Gospels. It's where they're fishing all night, and they're putting their nets down on one side of the boat, and they're not catching anything. And Jesus calls out from the shore, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they try it, you know, and they bring in a whole load of fish. And when he does this, then Peter realizes this was the Messiah. This was Jesus. And he, I love it, he just jumps off into the water and swims to shore. And so I wanted to condense the first half of that, but, but let's pick up, I think, at verse 12, 11. Okay. I forgot to put it in my notes, so I'm going to read it with you. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus has appeared here to them. They bring up all these fish, 153. I'm always curious, like, why they counted them, but they did. I guess they were excited. They have breakfast there on the shore. And then Jesus turns to Peter, and he asks Peter a question. In verse 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Sometimes my wife, Emily, she asks me if, if I love her. I'm like, you know that I love you. She says, feed my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus turned to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing at the fish. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Because when he had called Peter, he said, I want to make you a fisher of men. Peter's supposed to be an evangelist, a pastor. He's supposed to share the gospel. But Peter went back to being a fisher of fish. He says, Jesus, or Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish? Peter's like, well, of course. You know that I love you. But I think we actually see, if we pull back the curtain a little bit, we see a different... We see a different side of this verse. I want to pull back the curtain. I want to show you what it says in the Greek. Because like I said, there's these different words for love in the Greek. And when we read them in English, it all gets translated as love. But we see something a little bit deeper here if we just pull back the curtain a bit and we look at what it says in the Greek. So if you can go on to the next slide. This is that same verse, but I switched out the words for love. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. 
He said to him, feed my lambs. That might kind of hurt my feelings, what Peter said, because Jesus was there asking for agape. Peter says, well, I, I phileo you. It kind of might be like if your wife said, I love you, and you said, hey, I really, really like you. And if my wife said, hey, Luke, I love you, and I said, well, I love you as a friend. That might not go over so well. That's basically what Peter said to Jesus, not giving Jesus what he asked for. So in verse 16, same question again. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. So once again, Jesus asks for agape, and Peter offers back phileo. I got to say this for Peter, at least he's being honest. He's, he's at least being straightforward with Jesus. I mean, he's basically saying, yeah, I know you're asking for love up here, but, but this is the best I can do right now. At least Peter's being honest right there. More honest than I think most people would be. You know, we can, we can come to church, we can sing the songs, we can say all the words in the songs. Sometimes I'm like, do we really, do we really mean it? Do we always put God first? Does he really have our whole heart? That can be really hard to do. Sometimes I'm singing the songs, I'm like, ugh, do I really mean that? I don't want to just come to church and sing the songs. I mean, I want to, I want to mean it. So I appreciate at least Peter's being honest right here. I'm not even going to be too hard on him. Because I know I have a hard time keeping God first sometimes. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Jesus has changed it. He's changed what he's asking. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So it said there, Peter's grieved. He's hurt. He's got a little bit defensive. He says, you know, I love you, Jesus. You know everything. You know that better than I do. You know that I love you. I think Jesus was hurt because Jesus had asked for agape. And we might be tempted to look at Peter and say, well, come on, Peter. He's asking for agape. Give him agape. Quit, quit being a jerk. But like I said, at least Peter's being honest. And the question Jesus asked Peter is what he'd ask you today. He asked you for agape as well. I think we could hurt his feelings if we respond with anything less. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment. Because before we get too hard on Peter, let's just do a self-assessment on ourselves. We'll look at those verses from 1 Corinthians 13. But I put blanks there. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. I'm going to put it. I'm just going to say blank. But what I'd like you to do this morning is put your name in the blank. This is just between you and God. I just want us to do a self-assessment before we go today. How am I doing on agape? So first one there is blank is patient. So I would read that. I would say Luke is patient. Did I mention I'm the parent of a three-year-old? I'm not patient, and I know it. Sometimes he likes to, you know, he likes to grab daddy's beard with his fingers. I really don't like that. I get very impatient when he does that. Blank is kind. Blank does not envy. Blank does not boast. Blank is not proud. I don't want to talk about that one. 
blank does not dishonor others. I'm actually pretty good at that one until you start talking about politics and then I start to struggle. Blank is not self-seeking. Blank keeps no record of wrongs. Blank does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Blank always protects. Blank always trusts. Blank always hopes. Blank always perseveres. Blank never fails. Who else says pray for blank today? (laughs) I think blank needs a lot of help. It's not so much fun because then when I do that, when I plug my name in, I see how far I fall short of the kind of love that God wants me to show. So when I read through that, wherever that statement is not true for me, I'm like, okay, well, that's where I need to get better at agape. That's where God shows me I need to, I need to grow my agape in that area. So before we leave today, I want to show you, I want to show you how much Jesus loves us. Like, that's my goal for getting up here. Before we go today, I just hope we walk out of here knowing more than ever how much Jesus loves us. That's, I think that's a pretty good goal for church. Because there's something that's always bugged me about the appearance of Jesus after the resurrection, all the appearances where he shows up to people. It's a strange thing. It seems like people never recognized him whenever he showed up. Like, look in the verses we read earlier. You know, Jesus is on the shore, and he's calling out to them, and they didn't even know it was him at first. Now, maybe there's a little bit of distance, but then it says they get back up on shore, and they see Jesus. And if you remember, it had this to say. If we go on to this, um, I think it's on the next slide. Yeah, John 21, 12. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. So it's like they... They knew it was him, but they also had some hang-ups. They were also a little bit suspicious. They weren't entirely sure. It's kind of a weird comment to make. I mean, he's standing right there in front of you. You just spent three years with this guy. Why are you, why are you a little bit hesitant about it? There's also this little episode when Mary Magdalene, she went to visit Jesus' tomb, and his body wasn't there because he had risen. And it said, and this is from John chapter 20, But Mary stood by the tomb, starting at verse 11, stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, I'm just always like, what? (laughs) Did she have tears in her eyes or something? Like, why didn't she know it was Jesus right there? She said, sir, if you carried him away, let me know where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, she had known Jesus for years. She had known him for years. But when he's standing right in front of her, She thought, oh, he must be the gardener or something. That's just always, does that annoy anyone else? (laughs) Like, like, I don't understand that. Why doesn't she know who Jesus was when she spent all that time with him? Happens where there's a couple of disciples walking along a road and, and Jesus walks up to them. This is at the end of the book of Luke, chapter 24. And they were talking about Jesus and he walks up and joins their conversation 
another one of my favorite stories with Jesus. He just kind of walks along with them. They don't realize that that's him, that that's the guy that they're talking about. It said in verse 17 there, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that happened in these days? He said to them, what things? (laughs) I just love it. He's like messing with them. What things? What are you talking about? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And they start telling him all about Jesus when he's Jesus. And they knew Jesus before, but now all of a sudden, they have no idea who he is. Eventually they realize it. It bothers me. I've wondered for years, why do people have such a hard time recognizing Jesus after the resurrection? And then I think I finally found the answer. Because I don't normally forget what someone looks like after three days. But I think I have an answer for you today. It's actually in the book of Isaiah where it's giving prophecies about the Messiah. And it's talking about the sufferings that he would go through. It's talking about, it talked about the crucifixion hundreds of years before it actually happened. And it says this in the book of Isaiah chapter 50, at verse 6. Jesus said this, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. We aren't given a lot of physical descriptions about Jesus. But we are told that he had a beard. We said it right there. A lot of men in those days had beards. And as you know, it wasn't just the cross that Jesus went to for us. They had tortured him for all night the night before. They beat him, put the crown of thorns on his head. Even the Gospels don't give us all the details, but when we look at some of the prophecies in Isaiah, it said they yanked out his beard. And a beard doesn't grow back after three days. When they were torturing him and abusing him the night before, they literally yanked his beard out. And you think about it, he rose from the dead three days later. He still had the holes in his hands. He still had the the gash in his side from that spear. So in one sense, he had healed from what had happened to him. But in another sense, he still carried the scars. They yanked his beard out three days before. It hadn't grown back yet. He looked like a totally different person. I would bet he was scarred up in a, in a lot of ways. You read the, uh, or you watch the movies, you know, that they make about the crucifixion and Jesus comes out of the tomb. You know, he's always like glowing and beautiful and all that. I don't think that's accurate. I think in Isaiah 52, verse 14, it said, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So when the disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection, he had been beat up so much, he looked like a totally different guy. That's what he went through for us. Marred beyond any human, didn't even look like any person you'd seen before. Got bloodied worse than any person in history. Uh, if, If Connie wouldn't mind coming to the piano this morning. I don't want you to ever question today whether Jesus loves you. I want that to even be a question mark in your mind. He loves you so much, he let himself be killed. Not in some simple, easy way. 
I was watching a documentary the other night about um, some Christians who had had been persecuted and, and martyred, and you know they was it was talking about like the French Revolution and they brought out the guillotine, and you know what a guillotine does, and I was like, at least that's a quick way to go, you know if if nothing else, it's terrible what happened to him, but at least it was quick and, and painless. Can't say that for what Jesus went through. I mean he the word crucifixion is where we get the word excruciating from because the Romans wanted to come up with what's the worst possible way that we could kill someone? What is the most painful thing? And God in his infinite love, in his infinite agape, he says, and this is the moment of history where I'm going to come into the, the human race and die for their sins. Probably at the worst time he ever could have picked He wanted to show us how bad sin was. He wanted to show us how grievous our sins were. But how much he loved us that he was willing to go through that for us. Let me read 1 Corinthians 13 one more time. But I'm going to put Jesus in the blank now. Because I think that chapter really sums up the love that Jesus had for us. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. I mean, talk about a selfless concern for the welfare of others, that he'd come to this, this planet and die for us. You know, he didn't have to. He said, I could have legions of angels come and get me off this thing. If it was Luke up there dying for your sins, I would have had a breaking point. I would have been like, I can't do this. Maybe you've heard it said before, it wasn't the nails that held him up on that cross. It was his love that held him up there. He stayed until he said, it is finished. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. They were nailed to the cross. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. So Jesus is perfect love. He's the embodiment of agape. That's why he calls on us to be agape as well. Because he already showed us how. He agaped us first. He showed us how to do it. That's why when it's hard for us, we can think, well, let's think about what Jesus did for me. If he can do that for me, maybe I can love someone else. Some other people are hard to love. We can be hard to love. But he died for us anyway. Now back to Peter. Did Peter ever figure that out? Was he ever able to agape Jesus? Because that's what Jesus was asking for on that shore. You see, Peter's not really ready yet. He's not ready yet. Was Peter ever able to get to a point where he agaped Jesus? Well, if you know Peter's story... He did become a pastor. He became an evangelist. He got people saved. He started the church. He's very active in the book of Acts. He preached preached Jesus. Thousands of people got saved. First time he preached Jesus. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But Rome didn't like all that very much. They didn't like Peter and what Peter was doing. So, like Jesus, they ended up executing Peter. And this isn't in the Bible, but from historical sources... We're told that, that when it came time for Peter to die, 
he was actually crucified, just like Jesus was. Jesus mentions this actually in that passage in John 21, where Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's what Jesus said next. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So when they were about to crucify Peter, Peter actually said this. He says, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died. I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Savior. And he requested that when they crucified Peter, that they turn his cross upside down. Because he said, I don't deserve to die in the way that Jesus did. To me, that shows Peter finally got it. He agaped Jesus. Because he was willing to die for Jesus. If you're willing to die for someone, that's a selfless concern for the welfare of others. That's agape. There was a young girl, and this was in some European country, um, and she went to school every day, and the kids would make fun of her because her mother had this really disfigured face. And she was too little to really understand, but the, you know, she'd go to school, and you know, kids could be mean. They'd make fun of her for how her mom looked. And finally, when she got a little bit older, uh, she asked her mom, like, what, what did happen to your face? And the mother said that when, they, when she was a little baby, they had lived in an apartment, and there was an apartment fire one day, and the mom had to run into the apartment to save this little baby. And she got badly burned in that whole ordeal. And she survived. The little girl grew up. But that's why the mom had these scars. And after the little girl knew that, you know, she still went to school. The kids still made fun of her. But she said it didn't bother her anymore. Because every time she looked at her mother's face, she knew how much she was loved. I think Peter was thinking about the face of Jesus. When they crucified Peter and put him on an upside-down cross, I think Peter was thinking about how much Jesus loved him. And so Peter was able to love Jesus back, even to the point of death. So I want to pray with you all before we leave today. And I just want to ask two questions. Um, first of all, I don't know, you know, I'm not as familiar with you guys' as church. I've visited a few times, but I'm not sure who's a guest today, who's regular. But either way, either way, I want to put this out there. Uh, if there's anyone in here today, and you say, I've never really thought about how much God loves me. I've never, I've never really given my heart to him. If, if that's you today, uh, I just want to pray with you this morning. Because we can, we can make that difference. We can turn that around. We can give our hearts day. We can all, 100% of us, walk out of here today saved. But I want to ask that before I go on. I just want to ask, is there anyone in here who says, you know what, I've never given my heart to Jesus before? Is there anybody in here who would say that? All right. I'd love it if every single person in this room is saved. If you have any doubts about that, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Second thing I want to ask, Again, just for everybody here in the room. Is there anyone to say, I just really feel it this morning how much Jesus loves me. Like maybe I've just come to a new level of awareness that God's taken me to a deeper place to understand and would say, I just want God to help me to love others like he loved me. If that's you today, I'm just going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray over you and then we'll be dismissed today.
If you are a guest today, I want you to know there's a much better preacher who will be back next week. So make sure you come back next week too. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, I just thank you for each person in this room. Even more, God, I thank you for what you did for me. God, you were willing to let them rip your beard out for me. I mean, God, that goes beyond any love I've ever known. Thank you for that today, Jesus. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for where I get annoyed. <laughs> and, and my I hit my limit pretty quick sometimes with people. But God, you didn't do that with me. You stayed till the end. You stayed till you said it is finished. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to grow in my love this week. That I would walk out of here today with a better understanding of agape, a better understanding of what you did. And God, more, more direction for my heart now on how I should treat others. How I can be more patient with them. How I can be more kind with them. Lord, show me where I fall short. Help me to grow. Lord, help me to grow in love each day so I can be more like Jesus. And I pray that this morning. In Jesus' mighty, powerful, and loving name.